0: Hello everyone, this is Rev. Brad. You're listening to the podcast From the Touchline, a production of Soccer Chaplains United. Well, recently I had occasion to visit Cambridge, England, and while I was there, I was interested to learn a unique piece of football history. Apparently, the first known instance of codifying, or writing down, the rules of association football, or what we Yanks call soccer, happened in Cambridge. In 1848, a group of Cambridge University students wrote out a set of 11 rules, and they nailed these to the trees surrounding a park called Parker's Peace. And today, that park still exists. It's just a large, grassy park in the heart of central Cambridge. What's interesting to me is that the writing and posting of these rules were designed to help create an equal and more level playing field. Now, football had been around longer than 1848, But with all the various villages and towns and schools playing, there were these variations on the rules and what it ended up looking like and and what could or couldn't be done during a game varied from town to town and village to village. So having an agreement on an established set of rules really helped to make the game enjoyable and pleasurable and not a source of chaos and confusion. Can you imagine students coming to university and they've grown up playing the game with all these sort of different rules? And maybe one of them picks up the ball with his hands and everybody else is like, hey, mate, what are you doing? Well, I believe the same to be true in life. You know, sometimes we look negatively on rules or having rules placed on us or enforced on us. Selfishly, we'd rather do what we like. But in a competitive game like soccer, how fair would it be for one team if they all got to pick up the ball with their hands and or use their feet and run toward goal? while the other team only limited themselves to playing with their feet. You see what I mean. Well, the original rules of 1848 went through some changes, and evolution is the game, and some of its components have evolved as well. In 1863, the Football Association of England adopted a majority of the Cambridge rules, and even added a few. It might be interesting to study and see how the laws of the game have evolved, even to the point they have to today. I think it's interesting, though, to start at this point of 1848 and to compare and contrast the original rules to what we see shaping and influencing the game today. If you're interested, you could look this up. You could try searching out Cambridge rules on Wikipedia. There's a helpful article on there. In 2017, though, the city of Cambridge commissioned a monument to be placed to honor the significance of those rules being codified, being born out here on this plot of land. And so they erected this stone monument, and I got a chance to visit it, and the podcast liner for this next series uh, shows a picture of me next to that monument. So if you want to learn more about the monument, some of its unique aspects, the artistry that went into it, some of the thought, uh, just check them out at cambridgerules1848.com. Just look that up, and, and there's some interesting stuff there as well. Well, for the next 11 weeks, we're going to talk through the original football rules. We're going to talk about some of the parallel spiritual life lessons. So stay tuned. We kick off right after this. He's found the space, and he's found the back of the net. Just a little off foot, thinking he's going to go far post. Not strong enough with his right hand. Whips that one in. Far post. Almost made him in, and they have. He has the hat-trick. The second in his career. The hat-trick hero talked about. You're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure. To the corner. Goes towards the near post. And you're at the angle. of what a goal! What a goal! Rule one. This club shall be called the University Football Club. The first rule. Forming or selecting a name. To me, this felt a bit strange to make this as one of the rules, one of the 11. But I wonder if this has more to do with the historical origins and the context of football or soccer and how it all came to be. Now, the English will claim they've given the world a beautiful game. And in truth, the version we play and watch and love today is most closely associated with the English version of the game dating back to 1863. 1863. But description of kicking a ball have been found in Chinese military manuals dating back to second and third centuries, and there's other sort of variations of the game that we see in other um, cultures, and, and I'm, I'm not a historian, I can't get into all that, but like many things, the games evolved from maybe those thousands of years, so for our sake, we're only going to go back to the 19th century, and we're going to look at these rules as they were codified in Cambridge. Now, association football, one of the terms or names given to soccer, was a club sport. It was played amongst several schools. Again, I'm no historian. This podcast isn't long enough to go into all the details. But soccer wasn't the most popular sport back in the 19th century England. Rugby was, actually. You might have heard the phrase, football or soccer is a gentleman's game played by hooligans, and rugby is a hooligan's game played by gentlemen. Uh, I've read in some places that football was really developed as an off-season conditioning program for rugby players, but regardless, rugby was the sport of the day, thus the importance of naming this as a football club. It was really to distinguish it, I imagine, from any other sort of sport and to kind of identify the type of game that was going to be played. That way you didn't get any gentlemen or hooligans coming in thinking that they were going to play a different type of game. What's interesting to me, too, is in the actual rule, foot and ball are separate, distinct words. I'm not sure if there's a significance there. I'd be curious to learn when the two words were kind of combined into one. But the rule that identified it as the university football club, well, in Cambridge, there really is no question of what university we're speaking of. And if you've ever been to Cambridge, and if you've ever been to Parker's Peace, this grassy park, uh, it's sort of a gathering place where people could come and play and relax and recreate and spend time. Uh, it's, it's really quite lovely, beautiful piece. And so uh, identifying themselves as University Football Club uh, just helped for setting out a name. Well, here's the important thing, the spiritual lesson out of all this. Naming something is important. Let me say that again. Naming something is important. Now, I've said this in other places, other podcasts, but the power to name is a powerful thing for a human being. Think about it. When a loved one's sick, an unknown disease or condition, even if it's a minor one, it absolutely unsettles us. We have to name it. We spend time, energy, money, we go into diagnosing and being able to put a name to a particular condition, and you know, as humanity grows in its knowledge and things like technology and scientific understanding, uh, all these things uh, go into naming. We 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 like to get really specific with our naming. In fact, so here's a, an example. Um, you know, many years ago we we discovered cancer, but now we're not just satisfied to name. Cancer, but we name it something specific. We say it's a it's a lymphoma. And, and we can even get more specific with certain types of cancer. For example, we can say it's a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So so for us, for the for the need, there's there's some need within us as human beings to name and to name something as specifically as we can, because it gives us a sense of power, a sense of control. If we can name something, then we can control it. Well, you might take that negatively or positively. I think naming is a good thing, actually. Naming is actually one of the first activities that God gives mankind in the garden. You can read more about that in Genesis chapter two. God works with man to name the creatures of the earth and works with man to name his eventual life partner. Naming, though, as most things, has and can be abused. Maybe you were a kid like me, you grew up and sometimes you were shamefully called something a name, a nickname that you absolutely detested, but it showed who had the power by how funny or how all the kids may have laughed about that one particular name or thing that someone called you. But I think on the whole, naming is Usually seen in a positive light. We do see restrictions about naming. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments specifically forbids misusing God's name. So there is a caution, and that caution betrays a sense of power. But we're to use that power to name, we're to use that wisely and carefully. On the other side of things, the beauty and blessing that comes from naming, think of some of those special moments naming a child, for example. Naming a location or place if it has a significant meaning for you. Sometimes even naming God himself, giving a name to him. Uh, We see that in a couple places in scripture, but that's for another podcast. So today, as you go away from here, I'd like to encourage you to reflect on significant naming moments in your life. Maybe it's your own name. What does your name mean? Why did you received that name from your family, from your parents. Or maybe you've had the privilege of naming a newborn child. Think about some of the things that went into that. Maybe you're trying to honor a family member from the past, or maybe you were trying to honor something new, something distinct, because you needed to get away from something in the past. Or maybe you've not had You don't want to go that deep on either of those levels. Maybe you've just simply named that old faithful car that gets you from point A to point B, gets you to the training ground and home. Uh, Why did you name that car, that specific thing? Think on some of those things. And consider how naming has been abused, how it shapes identity. I think for us to consider the power of naming and what it means for us today is a powerful exercise we can learn out of the first rule of the Cambridge Rules of 1848.